Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we do pray that you'll teach us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share some thoughts with you from God's word. Uh, And it just happily coincided with Tim's uh, other engagements. I was attracted to this passage because it seems to mix both heaven and earth. But when I started looking at it, I actually found it quite challenging. You see, I I want my life to be integrated. I don't want separate compartments for my day-to-day life and my Christian faith. Um, And it's been said that some Christians are so heavenly-minded as to be no earthly good. Whereas I think this passage has our heads in the cloud but our feet on the ground. Perhaps a bit like this... Uh, It would help if I turned this on. A bit like this image. And I would like to just focus on three words from this passage. Thanks in verse 16, knowledge in verses 17 to 18, and power in verses 19 to 23. But I'd like to start thinking about power. Because it seems to me that in our world... There's a lot of preoccupation with power. We've seen Russia exerting its power on Ukraine. And I realise there are historical issues involved, but I can't accept that it is right for one country to bolster its own security by subjugating or destroying another. Ukraine has been prominent in our news But when Patrick Sugdeo from Barnabas Fund was in Adelaide early in April, he pointed out that Ukraine was just one of 57 armed conflicts around the world. That's where one group is trying to use force of arms to subjugate another. But power is also a preoccupation of our societies. The 20th century French philosopher Michel Foucault was obsessed with the secret structures of power. He argued that behind every practice, every institution, and even behind language itself, lies power. And his goal was to unmask that power and thereby liberate its victims. The English writer Douglas Murray has been tracking how this has been playing out. His first book was The Strange Death of Europe, in which he identified the impact of massive immigration in Europe. His second book, The Madness of Crowds, looked at how identity politics of homosexuality, feminism, racism and transgenderism was impacting the West. And his latest book, uh, War on the West, he considers it as a culmination of these movements where many people in the West rubbish or denigrate their own society. He identifies the most prominent power struggle nowadays is that of race. There are places in the US that are hotbeds of anti-racist riots. In 2020, Douglas Murray visited Portland in Oregon and he found every federal building had been attacked or turned into a fortress. Almost every statue and public monument in the city had either been pulled down by protesters or removed by the local authorities 
even the statue of Abraham Lincoln. There seems to be a madness tearing America apart, and you wonder what has happened to Martin Luther King's dream that his children would live in a nation where they would not be judged by the colour of their skin, but the content of their character. And the battle over racism is just one of the dogmatic movements at play in our societies. There's the new feminism, which considers that Germaine Greer is no longer a feminist because she doesn't agree 100% with the new dogma. There's transgenderism, which says... Uh, which demands affirmative treatment for children who think they are in the wrong body. Their feeling must never be questioned and the children should be given an opportunity to take puberty blockers and later even surgical intervention. And yet Sweden and Finland, two of the most socially progressive countries, are now backing away from this affirmative model. And so it goes on in an ominous fulfilment of Foucault's theories. Now, I realise that that paints a rather grim picture about our world's preoccupation with power. But it demonstrates why I was so challenged by this passage, where Paul says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead seated at him, him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I felt I couldn't just gloss over those words. How are we going to understand them in today's world? And the answer I came up with, which may or may not satisfy you, is that we, su- we see some of it, but not all of it. We don't see the heavenly realm. We don't see the final consummation except by faith. And, you know, Jesus warned his followers that there would be a great upheaval. There would be wars and rumours of wars, nation against nation, and that wasn't the end. What we do see is a demonstration of God's power in the resurrection there is sufficient evidence to accept this as historical fact. And along with the crucifixion, this constitutes the cosmic event that changes everything. And I was thinking maybe we should think of the resurrection a bit like a keyhole through which we glimpse something of the heavenly realm, a bit like this picture. We see little bits of things, but we don't see the whole thing. And I think the power of the resurrection touches down to earth in the church. And I think that's why Paul gives thanks for the church at Ephesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You see, the church is characterised by faith and love. Faith is trust in Jesus as saviour, a trust in his sacrificial death on the cross, a trust in God's forgiveness. And having been forgiven by God, we can and should forgive others. Having been loved by God, we can and should love others. 
And that means that the usual divisions between people, which identity politics emphasises, can be overcome. Or as Paul says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It seemed to me that the power of the world is characterised by being destructive, just look at Ukraine, divisive, look at racism, and deceptive, think of all the fake news that we are fed each day. Whereas God's power is creative, think of the resurrection, unifying, think of the church, and truthful. And I sometimes wonder about myself as well as the rest of us, whether we appreciate how important forgiveness is for our world. Because without forgiveness, past injustices can fester and demand vengeance. And the question is, how are these historical wrongs, perceived or actual, going to be resolved? If we go by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, then everyone will end up being blind and toothless. The current trend to tear down statues statues of past important people, to me, is another demonstration of an inability to forgive, to accept that these people from the past might have been flawed but still made an immense contribution. In the War on the West, Murray has a reflection on gratitude. He observes that where people are dissatisfied with their lot, that often breeds resentment, and that means that someone else is to blame and they must recompense the victim. And hence there is a lot of desire to paint yourself as a victim. And Murray talks about his good friend Roger Scruton, the English philosopher who died late in 2019, who when he was reflecting on his life and the difficult year he had because of all the terrible things that happened to him, the last words that he published before his death death were, coming close to death you begin to know what life means and what it means is gratitude. Recently I've been very touched by reading this book by Eugene Peterson, The Pastor, because of his view on the church. He is the one who produced the version of the Bible called The Message. And in his church, he avoided using glitzy techniques to attract large congregations. He didn't aim for success, but for caring for the people. Not entertainment, but worship. Not programs, but community. Each person was valued not for what they might bring or be able to contribute, but for themselves. And I think Peterson would echo Paul's comments in thanking God for the church, his own church. And he points out that men and women who are pastors in America today find that the vocation of pastor has been replaced by the strategies of religious entrepreneurs with business plans. The pervasive element in our 2,000-year pastoral tradition is not someone who gets things done, but rather the person placed in the community to pay attention and call attention to what is going on right now 
between men and women, with one another and with God. This kingdom of God that is primarily local, relentlessly personal and prayerful. Peterson gives a number of examples of the people who came to his church and he talks about Wayne and Claudia who were both surprisingly atheists. However, they wanted their children, their six children from different marriages, to come to church to give them a moral foundation and they would come themselves. And at the point in the service where they recited the creed, Wayne would start, I believe, and then he'd stop. After six months, Peterson noted that Wayne now said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and then he would stop. After ten months, Wayne recited the complete creed, and soon afterwards both asked for baptism. A couple of years later, Claudia was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer, and within six weeks she was dead. Wayne lost his job, and the bank foreclosed on his mortgage. The family was homeless. But various church families offered to put up members of the family as long as they needed. And for me, this was a demonstration of the church in action, like the church of Ephesus, demonstrating faith and love. And I think this is the power that our world needs to see. And I think we too should give thanks for the people with whom we worship, people with flaws, just like us, but characterised by faith and love and forgiveness. Finally, Paul talks about knowledge. And I think his prayer for the Ephesian church is that they might continue to grow in an understanding of these cosmic events. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, might give you the, the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We don't stand still in the Christian life. We need to grow. There's always more to understand, more to appreciate, more to absorb, more to put into practice. As they say, it's a matter of lifelong learning. And we grow not just in facts, knowledge of facts, but in knowledge of a person, our Saviour Jesus. And even Paul considered he had, he had further to go when in Philippians he said, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May that be our prayer as well.